0: Chapter Twenty Two of Hans of Iceland by Victor Hugo, translated by Abby Langden Alger. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Sonia. Chapter Twenty Two. Now the hungry lion roars, and the wolf behowls the moon, while the heavy ploughman snores, all with weary task foredone. Now the wasted brands do glow, whilst the screech owl screeching loud. Puts the wretch that lies in woe, In remembrance of a shroud. Now it is the time of night, That the graves, all gaping wide, Every one lets forth his pride, In the churchway path to glide. Shakespeare, Midsummer Night's Dream Let us now retrace our steps. We left Ordner and Spiagotry struggling laboriously Up the brow of Oelmoe Cliff By the light of the rising moon. This rock, bare of vegetation at the point where it begins to curve, is from this peculiarity called by the Norwegian peasants the vulture's neck, a name which gives an excellent idea of the aspect of this huge granite boulder as seen from a distance. As our travellers approached this part of the rock, the forest changed to heather. Grass gave place to moss, wild briar-roses, broom and holly were substituted for oaks and beeches. A scantier growth, which in mountainous regions always shows that the summit is near, as it indicates the gradual diminution of the stratum of earth covering what may be termed the skeleton of the mountain. Mr. Ordner, said Spiagudry, whose lively mind seemed ever a prey to a varying world of ideas, this is a very tiresome climb, and it takes all my devotion to follow you. But it seems to me that I see a superb convolvulus yonder to the right. How should I like to examine it? Why is it not broad daylight? Don't you think it was a great piece of impertinence to value a learned man like me at no more than four paltry crowns? Tis true the famous Phaedrus was a slave, and Aesop, if we are to believe the learned Planudus, was sold at a fair like a beast of burden or household chattel, and who would not be proud to bear any sort of resemblance to the great Aesop? Or to the celebrated Hans? Added Ordner with a smile. "'By St. replied the Keeper, "'do not utter that name so lightly. "'I swear I could readily forgo the latter comparison. "'But wouldn't it be strange if Benignus Piagudry, "'his companion in misfortune, "'should win the reward for his head? "'Mr. Ordner, you are more generous than Jason, "'for he did not give the Golden Fleece to the Argonaut pilot. "'And I am sure that your mission, "'although I do not clearly understand its object, "'is no less perilous than that of Jason.' Well, said Ordner, since you know Hans of Iceland, tell me something about him. You say that he is by no means a giant, as is generally supposed. Spiagudry interrupted him. Stop, master! Don't you hear footsteps behind us? Yes, quietly answered the young man. Don't be alarmed. It is some animal frightened at our coming, and brushing against the bushes in its flight. You are right, my young Caesar. It is so long since these woods have seen the face of man— If we may judge by its heavy tread, it must be a good-sized animal. It may be an elk or a reindeer. This part of Norway abounds in these beasts. Wildcats are also found here. I saw one myself, which was brought to Copenhagen. He was monstrous big. I must give you a description of this ferocious animal.' "'My dear guide,' said Ordner, "'I would rather that you would give me a description of another and no less ferocious monster, the horrible hands.' "'Speak lower, sir.' how calmly you utter that name you do not know good heavens sir just hear that as biagudry said this he drew closer to ordner who did indeed distinctly hear a cry similar to the growl which as the reader may remember had so alarmed the timid keeper on the stormy night of their departure from trondheim did you hear that he whispered breathless with fright to be sure i did said ordner but I don't see why you tremble so violently. It is the howl of some wild beast, possibly the cry of one of those very wild cats of which you were just talking. Did you expect to pass through such a place at this time of night without disturbing any of its inhabitants? I'll warrant you, old man, they are far more frightened than you are. Spiagudry, seeing his young companion's composure, was somewhat reassured. Well, it may be, sir, that you are right, but that yell sounded terribly like a voice that I... It was a very poor idea, let me tell you, sir, to insist upon climbing up to this vermin's castle. I fear we shall meet with some accident on the vulture's neck. Fear nothing while you are with me, answered Ordener. Oh, nothing disturbs you. But, sir, nobody but the blessed St. Paul can handle vipers without getting bitten. You did not even notice, when we struck into this confounded footpath, that it seemed to have been recently trodden and that the grass had not had time to lift its head since it was trampled i confess that i did not pay much heed to it and that my peace of mind is not dependent upon the state of a few blades of grass see we are now out of the thicket we shall hear no more from the wild beasts i need not therefore tell you my brave guide to summon all your courage but rather bid you muster all your strength for this path cut in the rock will doubtless be even steeper than the one we have left it is not that it is steeper, sir, but the learned traveller Saxon says that it is often impeded by rocks or heavy stones too big to be handled, over which it is not easy to clamber. Among others, there is, just beyond the Malaya postern, which must be close at hand, a huge triangular granite boulder, which I have always had the greatest desire to see. Shunning asserts that he discovered the three primitive runic characters on it. The travellers had for some time been climbing the face of the rock, They now reached a small ruined tower, through which their path led, and to which spiagudry drew ordenless attention. This is the Malaya postern, sir. This path, hewn in the living rock, contained several curious structures, which show the ancient style of fortification used in our Norwegian manor-houses. This postern, which was always guarded by four men-at-arms, was the first outwork of Vermont's fort. Speaking of posterns, the monk Eurencius makes an odd remark. He asks whether the word Janna, derived from Janus, whose temple doors were so widely celebrated, has any connection with Janissary, a name applied to the troops who guard the sultan's gate. It would be strange enough if the name of the mildest prince known to history should have passed to the most ferocious soldiers upon earth. In the midst of all the keepers' scientific twaddle, they journeyed laboriously along, over loose stones and sharp pebbles, mingled with the short, slippery grass, which sometimes grows upon rocks. Ordner beguiled his weariness by thinking how delightful it would be to gaze once more upon distant Munkholm. All at once Biagudry exclaimed, Oh, I see it! This side alone repays me for all my trouble! I see it, sir, I see it! See what? said Ordner, who was just then thinking of Ethel. Why, sir, the three-sided pyramid described by Shunning." I shall be the third scientific man, with Professor Schöning and Bishop Islife, to have the pleasure of studying it, only it is a great pity that there is no moon. As they approached the famous boulder, Spiagudry uttered an exclamation of horror and distress. Ordner, in surprise, asked with some interest the cause of this new emotion, but the archaeologist was for a time unable to reply. You thought, said Ordner, that this rock blocked the path on the contrary you should be grateful to find that it leaves it entirely open and that is the very thing which provokes me said benignus in piteous accents what do you mean why sir replied the keeper do you not see that the position of the pyramid has been changed that the base which rested on the path is now uppermost and that the boulder stands upside down upon the very side on which shunning discovered the primordial runic letters i am indeed unfortunate it is a pity, said the young man. And besides, hastily added Spiagudry, the overturning of this mass of stone proves the presence of some superhuman being. Unless it be the work of the devil, there is but one man in Norway whose arm could— My poor guide, there you are, giving way again to your foolish fears. Who knows but this stone has lain thus for more than a hundred years. It is a hundred and fifty years, it is true, said Spiagudry more quietly, since the last scientific man observed it. But it seems to me to have been moved recently. The place which it formerly occupied is still damp. Look, sir." Ordner, impatient to reach the ruins, dragged his guide away from the marvellous pyramid and succeeded, by gentle words, in removing the fresh fears with which this strange displacement inspired the aged scholar. See here, old man, you can take up your abode on the borders of this lake and devote yourself to your important studies when you get the thousand crowns reward for Hans's head. You are right, noble sir, but do not speak so lightly of so dubious a victory. I must give you one piece of advice which may help you to overcome the monster. Ordner drew eagerly towards Biagudry. Advice? What is it? The robber, said the latter in a low voice, casting uneasy glances around him. The robber wears at his belt a skull, from which he usually drinks. It is the skull of his son, of the mutilation of whose corpse I am accused.' "'Speak a little louder and don't be frightened. "'I can hardly hear you. "'Well, this skull?' "'This skull?' said Spiagudry, bending to whisper in the young man's ear. "'You must try to obtain. "'The monster attaches a certain superstitious importance to its possession. "'His son's skull, once yours, you can do what you will with him. "'That is all very well, my good fellow. "'But how am I to get this skull?' "'By some stratagem, sir. "'While the monster sleeps, perhaps?' Ordner interrupted him. "'Enough. Your good advice is useless. I cannot be supposed to know when my enemy is asleep. My sword is the only weapon which I recognize.' "'Sir, sir, it has never been proved that the archangel Michael did not resort to stratagem to vanquish Satan.' Here Spiagudry stopped short, and, stretching out his hands, exclaimed in scarcely audible tones, "'Oh, heavens! Oh, heavens! What do I see? Look, master!' Is not that a short man walking before us in the path? Faith, said Ordner, raising his eyes. I see nothing. Nothing, sir. To be sure, the path bends and he has disappeared behind that rock. Go no farther, sir, I entreat you. Surely if the person whom you imagine that you saw disappeared so quickly, it shows that he has no idea of waiting for us. And if he chooses to run away, that is no reason why we should do the same. Watch over us, holy Hospitius ejaculated biagadry, who in all moments of danger remembered his favorite saint. You must, added Ordner, have taken the flickering shadow of some startled owl for a man. And yet I really thought I saw a little man. To be sure, the moonlight often produces strange delusions. It was in the moonlight that Baldan, Lord of Murnu, took a white bed-curtain for his mother's ghost, which led him to go next day and confess himself guilty of parricide before the judges of Christiania, who were about to condemn the dead woman's innocent page. So we may say that the moonlight saved that page's life. No one was ever more ready than Spiagudry to forget the present in the past. One anecdote from the vast storehouse of his memory was enough to banish all thought of the present. Thus the story of Balden diverted his fears and he added in a tranquil voice, "'It is quite possible that the moonlight deceived me too.' Meantime they gained the top of the vulture's neck, and began to get another glimpse of the ruins which the steep slope of the rock had hidden from them as they ascended. The reader need not be surprised if we frequently encounter ruins on the topmost peak of Norwegian mountains. No one who has travelled among the mountains of Europe can have failed to notice the remains of fortresses and castles clinging to the top of the loftiest peaks, like the deserted nest of a vulture or the eyrie of some dead eagle. In Norway especially, at the period of which we write, the variety of these aerial structures was as amazing as their number. Sometimes they consisted of long dismantled walls enclosing a rock, sometimes of slender-pointed turrets surmounting a sharp peak like a crown, or upon the snowy summit of a lofty mountain might be seen great towers grouped about a massive dungeon looking in the distance like an antique diadem. Here were the graceful pointed arches of a Gothic cloister, side by side with the heavy Egyptian columns of a Saxon church. There, close by some pagan chieftain's citadel with its square towers, stood the crenellated fortress of a Christian lord. Or again a stronghold crumbling with age, laboured by a monastery ravaged by war. Of all these edifices, a strange medley of architectural styles, now almost forgotten, daringly constructed in apparently inaccessible spots, but a few ruins remained to bear witness alike to the power and the impotence of man. Within their walls deeds were perhaps done far worthier of repetition than all the stories which are written now. But time passed, the eyes which witnessed them are closed. The tradition of them died with the lapse of years, like a fire which is not fed. And when that is lost, who can read the secret of the ages? The manor-house of Vermin the refugee, which our two travellers had now reached, was one of those places about which popular superstition has woven endless amazing histories and marvellous legends. By its walls, composed of pebbles bedded in cement now harder than stone, it was easy to determine that it was built about the fifth or sixth century. But one of its five towers remained standing, the other four, more or less dilapidated and strewing the top of the rock with broken fragments, were connected by a line of ruins which also showed the ancient limits of the inner courts of the castle. It was very difficult to penetrate this enclosure, littered as it was with stones and shattered blocks of granite, and overgrown with weeds and brambles which, clambering from ruin to ruin, crowned the broken walls with verdure, or overhung the precipice with long flexible branches. On these drooping tendrils, it was said, dim ghosts often swung in the moonlight, the guilty spirits of those who had wilfully drowned themselves in Lake Sparbo, and to these twigs, too. The water-sprite fastened the cloud which was to bear him home again at sunrise. Fearful mysteries were these, more than once witnessed by hardy fishermen, when, to take advantage of the time when dogfish sleep, they ventured to row as far as Olmo Cliff, which loomed up in the darkness over their heads like the broken arch of some huge bridge. Our two adventurers climbed the manor wall, though not without some difficulty, and crept through a crevice, for the door was filled with fragments. The only tower which, as we have said, remained standing, was at the extreme edge of the rock. It was, Spiagori told Ordner, from the top of this tower that Munkholm Lighthouse could be seen. They went towards it, although the darkness was at that moment complete, the moon being hidden by a great black cloud. They were about to cross a breach in another wall, in order to enter what was once the second courtyard of the castle, when Benignus stopped short and suddenly seized Ordner's arm with such a trembling hand that the young man himself almost fell. "'What now?' asked Ordner in surprise. Benignus, without answering, pressed his arm more firmly, as if begging him to be silent. "'Well,' said the young man, another pressure, accompanied by an ill-suppressed sigh, decided him to wait patiently until this fresh fright should cease. At last Biagogy asked in a stifled voice, "'Well, master, what do you say now?' "'To what?' said Ordner. ''Yes, sir,'' added the other in the same tone, ''I suppose you are sorry now that you came here?'' ''No, indeed, my worthy guide. On the contrary, I hope to climb higher still. Why should you think that I am sorry?'' ''What, sir, did you not see?'' ''See, what?'' ''You saw nothing,'' repeated the honest keeper with ever-increasing terror. ''Truly I did not,'' impatiently answered Ordner. ''I saw nothing and I heard nothing but the sound of your teeth chattering with fright.'' What? Not behind that wall in the shadow, those two flaming eyes like comets fixed directly upon us. Did you not see them? Upon my honour, I did not. You did not see them move up and down, and then disappear among the ruins? I don't know what you are talking about. Besides, what if I did see them? What? Mr Ordner, don't you know that there is but one man in Norway whose eyes gleam in that way in the dark? Well, and what then? Who is this man with the eyes of a cat? Is it Hans, your much-dreaded Icelander? So much the better if he be here. It will spare us a journey to Walderhog. This so much the better was not to the taste of spiagudry, who could not help betraying his secret thought by the involuntary ejaculation. Oh, sir, you promised to leave me at the village of Serp, a mile away from the battle. The generous and kindly Ordner understood and smiled. You are right, old man. It would be unfair to make you share my danger. Therefore, fear nothing. You see these hands of Iceland everywhere. May there not be some wildcat lurking among these ruins, whose eyes shine quite as fiercely as his do? Once more Spiagody's fears were set at rest, either because Ordner's suggestion struck him as very plausible, or because his young companion's composure proved contagious. "'Ah, sir,' said he, "'if it had not been for you, I should have died a dozen deaths from fright as I climbed these rocks.' To be sure, I should never have attempted such a task if it had not been for you. The moon, which now broke through the clouds, showed them the gateway to the highest tower, the foot of which they had already reached. They entered after raising a thick curtain of vines, which showered them with drowsy lizards and old decayed birds' nests. The keeper picked up a couple of pebbles, and striking them together, produced a few sparks, by means of which he soon set fire to a heap of dead leaves and dry branches collected by ordener. In a few moments a bright column of flame rose into the air, and banishing the darkness about them, permitted them to examine the interior of the tower. Nothing was left but the circular wall, which was very thick and was overgrown with moss and vines. The ceiling and floors of its four stories had crumbled away one after the other, and now formed a vast heap of rubbish upon the ground. A narrow spiral staircase, entirely without a railing, and broken in various places, was built in the wall, to the top of which it led. As the fire began to crackle cheerily, a swarm of owls and ospreys flew up heavily, with strange, weird cries, and huge bats now and then hovered above the flames, poised upon their ashen wings. "'Our hosts do not receive us very merrily,' said Ordener. but do not take fright again. "'Aye, sir,' replied Spiagudry, seating himself close to the fire. "'I fear an owl or a bat. I have dwelt with corpses, and I do not fear vampires. Ha! I only dread the living.' I am not brave, I admit, but at least I am not superstitious. Come, sir, take my advice, let us laugh at these ladies in black petticoats and with such hoarse voices, and let us be thinking of supper. Ordner thought of nothing but Munkholm. I have here a few provisions, said Spiagudry, drawing his knapsack from under his cloak, but if your appetite be as good as mine, this black bread and mouldy cheese will not go far. I see that we shall have to observe the limits of the law laid down by the French king, philip the fair nemo audeat comedere Pretor duo fercula cum potagio there must be nests of gulls or pheasants on the top of this tower but how are we to get there by that dilapidated staircase which does not look as if it would bear the weight of anything but a sylph still answered ordener it must needs bear mine for i shall certainly climb to the top of this tower what master to get a few gulls nests do not for mercy's sake be so rash It is not worth while to kill yourself for the sake of a better supper. Besides, suppose you should make a mistake and take the nests of these owls? Much I care for your nests. Didn't you tell me that I could see Munkholm light from the top of this tower? So you can, young master. It lies to the south. I see that your desire to establish this point, so important to the science of geography, was your motive for taking this fatiguing journey to Vermon Castle— But do consider, good Mr. Ordner, that it may sometimes be the duty of a zealous student to brave toil and hardship, but never to run into danger. I implore you, do not attempt that poor broken-down staircase upon which even a crow would not venture to perch. Benignus was by no means anxious to be left alone in the tower. As he rose to take Ordner's hand, his knapsack, which was lying across his knees, fell upon some stones and gave forth a clear metallic ring. "'What have you in your wallet that rings so loudly?' asked Ordner. This was such a delicate question that Spiagodri lost all desire to restrain his young companion. "'Well,' said he without answering the question, "'if, in spite of all my prayers, you persist in climbing to the top of this tower, at least beware of the broken places in the stairs.' "'But,' repeated Ordner, "'you have not told me what you have in your knapsack to make it sound so metallic.' This indiscreet persistence was extremely unpleasant to the old keeper, who cursed the questioner from the bottom of his soul. "O oh, noble master,' he replied, "'how can you show such curiosity about the paltry iron barber's basin, which clinked against a stone? If I cannot persuade you to change your mind,' he made haste to add, "'come back as soon as you can, and be careful to hold fast to the vines which cover the wall. You will see Munkholm Lighthouse to the south, between Frigga's footstools.' Spiagudry could not have said anything better calculated to drive every other idea out of the young man's head. Ordner, throwing aside his mantle, sprang toward the staircase, up which the keeper followed him with his eyes, until he could only see him move like a faint shadow upward to the top of the wall, dimly lighted by the flickering flames and the cold rays of the moon. Then reseating himself and picking up his knapsack, he said, Now, my dear Benignus Spiagudry, while that young lynx cannot see you and you are alone, Make haste and break the cumbrous iron envelope, which prevents you from taking possession, oculis et manu, of the treasure undoubtedly contained in this casket. When it is delivered from its prison, it will be lighter to carry and easier to conceal. Arming himself with a huge stone, he was about to break the lid of the box, when the firelight, falling on the iron lock, suddenly arrested the antiquarian. By St. Vili brought the numismatologist. I am not mistaken, he exclaimed, eagerly rubbing the rusty lid. Those are indeed the arms of Griffenfeld. I came near doing a very foolish thing in breaking this lock. This may be the only perfect copy in existence of those famous armorial bearings, destroyed in sixteen seventy six by the hangman's hand. The devil, I will not touch this box, whatever may be the value of its contents, unless, as seems scarcely probable, it should be coin of Palmyra or Carthaginian money, this is certainly still more precious. So here I am the sole owner of the now obsolete arms of Griffenfeld. Let me hide this treasure carefully, and I may some time discover the secret of opening the casket without committing an act of vandalism. The Griffenfeld arms, oh yes, here are the hand of justice and the scales upon a ghouless ground. What luck! At each fresh heraldic discovery that he made as he polished the ancient coffer, he uttered a cry of admiration or an exclamation of content. By means of a solvent I can open the box without breaking the lock. It probably contains the ex-chancellor's treasure. If anyone, tempted by the bait of the four crowns offered by the council for my head, should recognize me now and stop me, I can readily buy my freedom. So this blessed casket will save me. As he spoke, he looked up mechanically. All at once his grotesque features changed with lightning speed from an expression of intense delight to that of stupefied dismay. His limbs trembled convulsively, his eyes became fixed, his brow furrowed, his mouth gaped wide, and his voice stuck in his throat. Before him, on the other side of the fire, stood a little man with folded arms. By his dress of blood-stained skins, his stone axe, his red beard and the ravenous stare fastened on his face. The wretched keeper at once recognized the frightful character whose last visit he had received in the spladgest at Trondheim. ''It is I,'' said the little man with terrible calmness. <laughs> ''That casket will save you,'' he added with a bitterly sarcastic smile. Spiagudry. Is this the way to Thogtree?'' The unfortunate man tried to stammer a word of excuse. "'The thog tree, sir! My lord and master, I was going!' "'You are going to hog," replied the other in a voice of thunder. The terrified Spiagogy mustered all his forces to deny the charge. "'You are guiding an enemy to my retreat. I thank you. "'Twill be one living man the less. Fear nothing, faithful guide. He shall follow you.' The luckless keeper strove to shriek, but could with difficulty utter a feeble moan. Why are you so frightened at my presence? You are seeking me. Hark ye. Do not speak, or you are a dead man. The little man swung his stone axe above the keeper's head. He added in a voice which sounded like the roar of a mountain torrent as it bursts from some subterranean cave. You have betrayed me. No, Your Grace, no, Your Excellency, gasped Benignus scarcely able to articulate these words of apology and entreaty. The other gave vent to a low growl. (sighs) You would deceive me again. Hope not to succeed. Listen. I was on the roof of the spladgest when you sealed your compact with that mad fool. Twice you have heard my voice. It was my voice you heard amid the storm upon your road. It was I whom you met in Vigla Tower. It was I who said, We shall meet again. The terrified keeper looked about him in despair as if to summon help. The little man went on. I could not let those soldiers who pursued you escape my wrath. They belonged to the Munkholm Regiment. I knew that I should not lose you. Spiagadri. it was I whom you saw again in Oelmo village beneath the miner's head. It was my footstep and my voice that you heard and my eyes that you saw as you climbed to these ruins. It was I. Alas, the unfortunate man was but too well convinced of this dreadful truth. He rolled upon the ground at the feet of his fearful judge, crying in faint and agonizing accents, Mercy! (laughs) The little man, his arms still folded, fixed upon him a murderous look, more scorching even than the flames upon the hearth. Ask that casket to save you, as you said it would do, he said sarcastically. Mercy, sir, mercy, repeated the expiring victim. I want you to be faithful and to be dumb. You have not been faithful, but in future I protest that you shall be dumb. The keeper, grasping the horrible meaning of these words, uttered a deep groan. (laughs) "'Fear nothing,' said the man. "'I will not part you from your treasure.' At these words, unfastening his leather belt, he passed it through a ring on the cover of the casket, and by this means hung it about Spiagogy's neck, the poor fellow bending beneath its weight. "'Come,' rejoined the monster to what devil will you confide your soul make haste and summon him lest another demon whom you do not care about take possession of it before him the desperate old man past all power of speech fell at the little man's knees making countless gestures of terror and entreaty no no said his tormentor my faithful spiagudry you need not be distressed at leaving your young companion without a guide i promise you that he shall go where you go follow me you do but show him the way come with these words seizing the wretched man in his powerful arms he bore him from the tower as a tiger might carry off a writhing serpent and a moment later a fearful shriek rang through the ruins mingled with a horrible burst of laughter End of chapter 22